All right, ladies, can we talk? I live in an RV trailer. Now, I don't know if some of you just assume that Lee and I were campers, big campers and RVers before we start, went on this new journey in our lives, me 18 months ago, Lee a year ago, of living in an RV. But let me assure you, neither one of us ever had lived in an RV or camped a lot or even wanted to live in an RV or camp a lot. But God is so gracious to give us things that we don't even know will be a joy. And I think that both of us would say that there's times when the water freezes like it did today because I turned it off, that it's not a joy. But I can choose every day to rejoice in what God's done in my life. So I'm just telling you right now, that moving to a 300-square-foot trailer with my husband by ourselves leaves us no place to hide anymore. How many of you are married? You understand what I'm talking about, okay? Now, we jokingly say we have an upstairs, but it's just up two steps to the bathroom and the bedroom, but, and so it just makes us feel better to say that's upstairs or that's downstairs. So it seems appropriate that my topic today is called Hide and Seek. Now, I'm sure all of you have played hide-and-seek at one time or another. It was one of my personal favorite games that I loved to play when I was a child. I was the oldest child, and I had two younger brothers. And I never brought up the idea of hide-and-seek unless I had already spied out a really good hiding place. I didn't, none of this counting to 100, and then I find a place. I already had a place picked out. I had a plan. And usually I hid so well that my brothers couldn't find me. And many times uh, I would have this place, and I'd be hiding, And they would just give up and stop trying to find me. Go off and play cars or play another game, and I'd be sitting in this hidey hole somewhere in this dark place, waiting and waiting. Ladies, really, the fun part of hide-and-seek is being found, right? We have that base, that place of safety that we can run to before they can tag us, and then we'll be safe. That's the way we used to play was with a base. uh, But sometimes, you know, I was this expert at hiding, but sometimes... We are still experts at hiding, and so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that today. My favorite time with my own children of playing hide-and-seek was when they were like two years old or three years old, and they think they were hiding, and they were standing right in the middle of the room, and you could see them, but you'd be like, I can't find you. That was my favorite time, and just for us to have a little comic relief, I want you to look at this video of hide-and-seek gone badly. No, no, seat behind here. Uh, one, two, three. Here it comes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Oh. 
I think you need to close it all the way. You're gonna hide. I guess uh, laptop hide and seek is the is the way to play in the future. It didn't look terribly fun to me, but that, I guess we can all learn. Well, the first time we see hiding is in the Bible is the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Adam and Eve. We have the account of the fall, the very first sin, and separation from God. Genesis 3.8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? So humans didn't even make it to the third chapter of Genesis before they were already hiding from God. It says they were hiding from his presence because they knew they had shame and they had guilt for the first time. God called out to them, where are you? Do we ever pretend to think that God didn't know where they were? But what was he doing? He was giving them a chance to come out of hiding. He was giving them a chance to come to him because he's all about relationship. He knew exactly where they were, and he knew what had happened. <clears throat> are we just like those children in that video sometimes where we hide from God and we think he can't see us? Do, are we like Adam and Eve and we make uh, fig leaf things that we can hide from God and we think that we can hide from his all-seeing eye and we hide from relationship with him, thinking that we can do that? You see, a hiding place is a place that we feel safe. Like that base that I talked about in the game of hide-and-seek, notice I say the word we feel safe because when we choose hiding places outside of our Heavenly Father, we are not safe. And our havens can even become our prisons. There's a book on the book table back there um, by Emily Freeman. And she says, we were, we were all created to hide, but not in a hiding place crafted by our own hands to get our own needs met. We were made to find our safe place in God. Maybe you're facing a challenge right now. Maybe you have a relationship problem and you have no idea how you can fix it. You've tried and tried, and it doesn't seem fixable. Maybe you have a difficult visit to the doctor or a situation you think, I can't handle this anymore. Maybe you have a new job to apply for or a move that you think you need to make. Or maybe you just have too many things to do in a day and you feel overwhelmed. What do you do that when the day is done and the challenge is passed, that you can say, today I hid in the Lord? God is my hiding place. For me, my hiding places were so subtle and deceptive often that I didn't even know that I was hiding much of my life, hiding apart from God. So hide and seek, you see, isn't just a child's game. I was still an expert at hiding, and I'm going to share with you some of my hiding places. Maybe you can relate. The first one I like to talk about is called the performance trap. It's what I'm calling it. In the performance trap, 
I think I must meet certain standards to earn God's approval. Certain standards to earn God's approval. Now, I'm just going to come out of hiding right now and let you know something about me. Since you don't really know me, I know it's going to be a shock, but I am a sinner. I fail. I wander away from God in my heart. I'm disappointed in myself. Other people are disappointed in me. I know it's a shock, but there it is. So I got that out of the way, so now you, you know me a lot better. You see, I need Jesus today, this moment, and every moment to be my hiding place. Okay, I'm glad I got that over with. There we go. I came to a realization when I was 15 years old that I needed Christ to be my salvation. And at that moment, I was hidden with Christ in God. At that moment that I decided that I needed Jesus to be my Savior and I needed him to cleanse me of all my sin and I confessed my sin and asked him to be my Savior and believed that his blood washed my sin away and that I was saved. At that moment, I became hidden with Christ and God. In Colossians 3.3, it says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So I believe at that moment, we are truly hidden in Christ. When God views us, he views us through the lens of Christ, and we can stand before him clean. But the way I lived after that salvation decision when I was 15 was that I had to roll up my sleeves and work and work and work and try hard, and then I had to hide everything else that wasn't going so well, which was a lot, because I couldn't let anybody see that I was messing up. So in the performance trap, you see, I feel like I need to be a supergirl. The truth is, None of us have capes or colorful spandex outfits, thank goodness. None of us have superpowers within ourselves. But you see, as supergirls, we don't like weak. We only like strong. Weak is not acceptable for us. So I found that I was always looking for that formula, for that secret key where I could get strong and remain strong and not be weak anymore, not be needy, not to be dependent I think I always thought I needed to be fixed and never be broken. But you see, the Supergirl gets discouraged when she fails because Supergirls don't get do-overs. So the point I was at was I was a tired Supergirl, and I'll fix it myself. And as far as you can see, I have it all together, good girl in hiding. But the Lord was trying to show me that what I needed to do was to continue to be hidden in him instead. You can only go so long in your own strength. This hiding place had been with me for a long time. Since I always had to be that good girl to maintain my supergirl image for myself and others, my real problem was really in my definition of good. I read a book um, that's back on the table. Emily Freeman wrote it. It's called uh, Grace for the Good Girl, Letting Go of the Try-Hard Life. And that book really ministered to me, and maybe if this is your hiding place as well, this might be a book that you could use as well. She defines good in this way, and I'm reading her definition. Good means I never mess up. Good means I weigh the perfect amount. Good means I can handle everything. I don't look like a fool, and I never lose my patience. Good means my husband will never be disappointed in me. My kids will always obey, and everyone basically likes me. Not only do I want to be a good girl, a good Christian, a good wife, and a good mom. I want to be those things in front of God and everyone, and I want to be good, and I want you to know it. I know in my head my definition of good is wrong, crazy even, 
Still left to my own resources, that is how I operate. If I fail to live up to my own standard of good, I label myself a failure, but then something happens to offer a bit of encouragement, and I find the strength to redouble my efforts at goodness. And I feel empowered, and so I try again, and then I fail again. And I don't like to fail, and I certainly don't want you to know that I failed, and I come, I've become embarrassed at the predictable pattern of defeat that my life has become. So now I stand at a fork in the road. I can try to figure out a way to continue making life work on my own, or I can admit defeat and accept Jesus' invitation to simply come. Are you at that fork in the road? Any of you tired super girls like me and you're ready to let go of the try-hard life? <clears throat> I'm going to ask some questions, and this might help you determine if you're living in the performance trap like I was. Are you afraid to ask God to reveal to you what's truly in your heart? Do you even want to know? Are you wearing a mask in front of God and everyone else, pretending to be something that you really aren't? Are you convinced you must earn God's acceptance and approval based on your performance? Do you feel God is often disappointed with you? If any of those answers are yes, maybe then you might be in the performance trap as well. A second hiding place that I struggled with is busyness. Busyness is allowing the tyranny of the urgent to distract us from the things that really matter. Busyness is allowing the tyranny of the urgent to distract us from the things that really matter. This might step on a few toes. Do you remember that story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10? I see some of you already going, mm. <laughs> Verse 38 says, um, in Luke 10 says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. But the Bible says that Martha was distracted with much serving. Anyone here distracted with much serving? She was doing good things, Martha. She was feeding them. Those are meeting needs. Those are all good things. But what was she distracted from? She was distracted from sitting at Jesus' feet and learning from him, from letting him make a difference in her own heart and missing that time with him. What did Jesus answer her? He said, Martha, Martha. Now, ladies, it's never good if Jesus has to say your name twice. He told her one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And Mary had chosen that good portion. He said it was necessary what Mary was doing, sitting at his feet and learning from him. You see, when Mary, when we sit at Jesus' feet and he teaches us and does a work in our heart, that can't be taken away from us. Nothing can, cha nothing can be taken away from us that God has done in our heart. But, but Martha was valuing what she was doing more, wasn't she? Because she not only was not 
content to be the only one serving. She thought Mary should stop what she was doing and do what she was doing. So she valued what she was doing more. And Jesus said, it's the other way around. I don't think he was saying serving was wrong. He was just saying, start with the sitting, then go to the serving. You need me. Okay? We can, we can walk so quickly away on our own and do our own thing and ignore the very one that we need the most. <clears throat> the tyranny of the urgent should not rob us of the most imp- important priorities. How often have you said, tomorrow I'll have more time to spend in God's word. Tomorrow I'll have more time to spend with him. You know, we get to that next stage. I always thought, the next stage of life, I'll have more time. You know, tomorrow, it's always tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll do that. I'm going to do that tomorrow. You know, we get up that supergirl heart of ours and we're going to try harder. And, um, you know, we run out of tomorrows. We turn the next corner, we think around the next corner I'll have more time, and you run out of corners. Jesus says today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your hearts if he's speaking you, to you today about something that you need to get right with him, something your, your walk with him needs to be renewed. Here are some questions that might help you identify the person that is hiding in busyness like I was. Is God enough? Is Jesus your good portion like Mary chose? Would you consider him good, a good portion? Do, you fill our li- do we fill our lives with many things and hide from intimacy with Christ? Do you value the one thing that Jesus said was necessary, sitting at his feet? Do you find it easier to do things for God rather than spending time with him himself? Another hiding place that I struggle with is called the comfort zone. Now, the comfort zone, I know this hiding place all too well. A comfort zone is a situation or a position in which a person feels secure, comfortable, or in control. Where we feel secure, comfortable, or in control. Now, um, I can't speak for all women, but generally most of us like feeling like we're in control. We want to live in that comfort zone because otherwise we might have to deal with fear and anxiety when we get out of that comfort zone. You see, the comfort zone will be patty-sized tasks, not God-sized tasks. Because when they get to be God-sized, then I can't do it on my own anymore. Comfort and safety can become our God if we let it, if we're not aware of it. So getting out of the comfort zone might be a risk, or it might be a really big step, or it could be not such a big step. It could be taking someone's hand that's telling you they have a problem and just saying, can I just pray with you right now about that? That might be getting out of your comfort zone. Getting out of your comfort zone might be going to a friend and saying, have I offended you in some way? Would you please share it with me so that I can make it right with you? That might be getting out of your comfort zone. Whatever God is asking you to do. Getting out of your comfort zone is having a hearing heart, ready to obey and asking God each day, what would you have me do today? Whatever it is, the answer already is yes. That's getting out of the comfort zone. When, um, when I had an empty nest coming, or after uh, my last child went to college, I made a decision that um, was probably not the wisest, and I decided to get a puppy. <laughs> I had an empty nest for three months. I couldn't stand it, and I got a puppy. Uh, we'll show her a picture. Yes, I know she's precious looking, but um, God even used this high-maintenance, stubborn strong-willed, fearful little dog in my life to teach me about fear and anxiety in myself. Her name was Zuzu, 
and we would take Zuzu on walks, and she hated walks. She did not want to go outside. She wanted to go in her own backyard. Don't make me go on a walk. Every twig snap, every leaf rustle, she would jump and look over her shoulder and just be a nervous wreck. And one day I was walking her, and I assure you I was by myself. Nobody was around, and I was talking out loud to her. And um, she was doing that jumping and looking over her shoulder. And I said to her, I said, Zuzu, why are you so afraid? Don't you know I'm right here beside you? Why are you so afraid? And God couldn't have spoken any louder to my own heart at that moment. Why are you so afraid? Don't you know I'm right beside you every day, everywhere you go? There's nowhere you can go to flee my spirit. And, you know, just one of those moments that I don't know if you get it, but I get it. I knew what God was speaking to my heart at that moment. You see, anxiety is an indicator that we're not trusting God. When we have anxiety, when we're ruled by anxiety and fear, we're not trusting. There's a book called Calm My Anxious Heart by Linda Dillow, and I would recommend it if you deal a lot with anxiety and fear in your heart. It's back on that table also. She states that women worry and are anxious for three basic reasons. The first one is the world is out of control. The second one is families are out of control. The third is my life is out of control. That control thing that I was talking about a minute ago, she says that in her, also, she says, we do have moments absolutely free from worry, but these brief respites I would call panic. Here are some questions to help you identify if this might be your hiding place as well, Go, giving in to worry and anxiety and getting in that comfort zone. Are you afraid to fully commit yourself to God because he might ask you to do something hard? Are you trusting God and experiencing his peace in the midst of hardship? Are you afraid to step out in obedience for fear you might fail? There are as many hiding places as there are women in this room. I couldn't even begin to talk about all the places that we could choose to hide apart from God. These are just my top three. God shows me new ones all the time. I want to look a little bit about how we've been talking about how we hide from God. Let's talk about how we hide in him instead. The Bible uses lots of different words for a hiding place or a place of safety. And I'm going to just list a few. I'm listing them on the screen. Secret place, shelter, shadow, covering, refuge, fortress, rock, strong tower, shield, under his wings. Have you ever wondered why there's so many psalms that talk about God as our refuge and our safe place, our hiding place? Psalm 32.7 says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. How many of you ready to hear those shouts of deliverance? Here are some steps that might help you if you are in a hiding place apart from God. Now, be careful, supergirls. These are not formulas. We don't depend on steps. We depend on him himself. The first one is to come. Be willing to be honest with God and yourself about your hiding places and come out of hiding and begin hiding in him, making him your hiding place. You remember how Adam and Eve tried to foolishly hide from God? He invited them to come out of hiding, and he invites you as well to come to him and hide in him. I want to share with you a little bit about how God invited me to come out of my hiding place or places. In August of 2010, I was facing that total emptiness for the first time that I shared when I got the dog. My daughter was just married. My oldest son was um, in Finland as a missionary, um, and my youngest son had just gone to college. The idea of my life as a mom, that nurturing time of my life being over, was just more than I could stand. I, it really 
I was an emotional wreck about that time. And I felt like God was comforting my heart and telling me nurturing is not over just because they, they left the home. But I just was really inconsolable about it. And Greg and I had even grown distant from each other in their high school years. And I just honestly didn't know what his problem was because he had a problem. We weren't discussing divorce. We weren't fighting. But we had just become cold towards each other in some ways, and we were just kind of doing our own thing. He went his way, and I went mine. The idea of us being alone in the home and not having our children there was not a comforting thought to me at that time. We went to Life Action um, to a ministry week in Michigan, and it was for the staff. And God used that time to shine a light in my own heart and show me ways that I had been hiding apart from God. You see, I was a pastor's wife. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was a preschool music teacher at our church. I was a mentor for young women, but I had a secret. I had left my first love, like Greg talked about on Sunday morning in Revelation 2. I had left that first love. See, I looked good on the outside. You would never know I had any problems. But inside, I was a dry desert. I was playing a game of hide-and-seek, and no one knew what a mess I really was on the inside. I'd come to a point in my life where I had no desire to spend time with God anymore. I had hardened my heart towards him. I didn't want to pray. I had walled myself into this fortress, keeping God and Greg and everyone else out. And I felt afraid and hopeless all at the same time. So God brought me to the point of being honest with him and myself, and I came out of hiding. He, cl- he clearly spoke to my own heart that what the problem was is I had been operating apart from him. He, uses, he used the verses in John 15, 4 through 5, to finally break through and get my attention. They say, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Those words stood out in bold print off the page to me that day. And God showed me that I had not been abiding in him and that I had been operating apart from him. And I had had a lot of nothing days and weeks and months by trying to operate that way. In short, I was gloriously ruined. I finally realized that I didn't need fixing in areas of my life. I didn't need a new book. I didn't need a new idea. What I needed was healing, and Jesus is the only one that heals. I became desperate for the one who called me and would give me the grace to live his life out daily. I couldn't live the Christian life without Christ. So God's presence in his word became bread to me, and time with him was not a discipline anymore, but it was water to my thirsty soul. Over the course of many months, God sought me and met me where I was. There was a book called Respectable Sins that we have back on the table, and God used that book to uh, show me what a Pharisee's heart I had. He showed me all my respectable sins and uh, what my heart really truly looked like. And um, You see, a Pharisee is someone who hides behind a mask of goodness and laws to earn God's pleasure and doesn't trust any part of the Savior Jesus himself, but trusts in his own strength. So because of these changes that were happening in my heart and the revival that was happening in my own heart, God also began to do a reviving work in my marriage. God began with me. There was um, 
Matthew 7, it talks about this log that we have in our own eye, that we need to remove that before we take the speck out in our, in our, in our brother's eye. Well, I was spending a lot of time looking at the specks in Greg's eye, but I wasn't seeing the log that was in my eye or the logs that were in my own eye. So the way God started was beginning to show me what was it like to be married to me. That's where he began. I attended a True Woman conference in Dallas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I heard a woman named Kim Wagner's testimony about how she had walked through a, a crisis time in her marriage. And God really used that testimony to, to quake me. Um, he showed, God sh- used that to show me that I was not a safe place for my husband to come to for encouragement, for love, but instead I was critical, nagging, cold, and unloving towards him, thinking of all the things he was doing wrong and all the ways he was offending me, disappointed in him for what was wrong with him. But God used that video, and then she later wrote a book called Fierce Women, which is also back there on the table, um, to show how my heart was truly not in submission to him and um, show me my own heart. Well, I can tell you, we all, so we walked through confession and forgiveness of each other and through counseling at that time five years ago, and God um, began this revival work in our marriage. So I can tell you the rest of the story now, almost five years later. I now... Um, travel with 22 young people, you know, that desire to not lose the nurturing time, how God spoke to my heart. He has a good sense of humor. Uh, the, the 22 young people that we travel with are the age of my children, of my own children. And I also, a plus, got six other children, Lee's children, to travel with, which are like my grandchildren. And now I have a real granddaughter that's um, four weeks old. But uh, I can hard, wholeheartedly say that Greg and my marriage has not been better than it's been in the last, uh, in 33 years. It's never been better. That God took um, two broken people and he uses us to minister to broken people. So we don't come out of strength or um, perfection, but we are able to share our story and give other people hope that there is hope to come out of those brokenness times, those dark times. So step one was to come and admit to him, that we can do nothing without him. And the second one is to pray. So often we leave this one out. We talk about it, we think about it, but we don't actually pray and ask God for the help that we need. Greg talked about, when he talked about grace, that we need his grace, we need his help. I pray very specifically now, Lord, help me because I know I'm very annoyed right now. Give me the strength to not be annoyed and to be patient and to be kind. I have to call out to him, help me not to be bitter and help me to forgive because I know without you I can't do that. Psalm 62.8 says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Do you know you can pour out your heart to God that he asked for us to do that? I have to be honest with you, ladies. Most of your husbands can't take it. (laughs) They can't take us pouring our heart out to them all the time, but God asks us to do that. Spend your time pouring your heart out to God. A third step is learning to hide by trust. Trust is placing my trust in God rather than myself or others. Now, trust is not a passive thing. It's an active, disciplined, tactical maneuver in the fight of faith. I have to use God's word as the sword and the magnifying glass of my heart to show me what I really am. You know, I told you I struggle with fear and anxiety, 
that that's a constant battle for me. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. I wanted to show you this picture of this sheep. This sheep is, called, is named Shrek. And Shrek was hiding in caves for six years without any shepherd finding him for six years. And this is what, they, what he looked like when they found him. He had 60 pounds of extra wool on him because he had not been sheared for six years. But I love this picture. It sticks with me. I love word pictures anyway. I taught children so long. It stuck with me. Um, this is what I think I look like to God so many times. I'm carrying all these things that I was never meant to carry. And he says to cast, throw, hurl our anxieties on him because he cares for us. How many of us look like that Shrek the sheep because we're carrying burdens we were never meant to carry because of lack of trust? You know, in Psalm 23, it says that he will still our waters and he restores our soul. How many of you try to still your own waters? How many of you still try to restore your own soul? He's the shepherd. Let him do that. We develop a habit of trusting by God's word. I have verses on my phone. I have verses on my walls. I'm memorizing and meditating on scripture, so it's with me wherever I go. That is my lifeline. I heard Beth Moore say one time she's within two or three days of going back into the pit without the word of God. And I definitely relate with that. I know I need his word to be my anchor, and and I need his spirit within me to make the difference. The fourth one is to abide. Like I read the verses in John 15. To abide is to have a conscious dependence on Christ, deepening my relationship with God through prayer and the word. For me now, spending time with Jesus is not just a duty. It's not something I do to check off my list like I was so good at doing for so long. Now I know, for me, it's my lifeline. If a day without him, without his word, without the promises of his word, without his Holy Spirit filling me, is a day where I'm in a danger. I'm in a danger of going back into that pit. So I look at it that way. I don't want to go back there. Um, John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then Psalm 119.1 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we need his word. It's not something we can do without or it's not an extra added thing. Emily Freeman writes, To remain in him means to refuse to get up from his lap. So I live that way. I refuse to get up from his lap every day. What is your... Um, default setting. For me, it's fear. When I go back there, when I wake up in the middle of the night and I have that worry and that fear and I can so easily succumb to that, like Lee shared in Colossians, I set my mind on things above. I go back to that point, that reset point. Like your computer has that default that goes back to that screensaver if, if it's left sitting. We can so easily go back to our fleshly patterns that we're so used to. Instead, we develop that habit of trust, of trusting in his word. So come to the Father and pray. Call out to him. Take refuge in his promises. Trust him and learn to abide, trusting in him. So let's stop hiding from God, ladies, and learn to be hidden in him instead. I'm going to share with you a a brief passage about a hidden woman in Scripture, and um, then we'll close in prayer. Luke 8, 43-48 is called the passage about the hidden woman. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not 
be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We as women can all relate with how horrible that woman's life would have been, 12 years of a constant hemorrhage of blood. And um, I'm sure many of you know this, but society-wise in her time, she would have been considered unclean like a leper because of that discharge of blood. She would also have been separated from society and from her family because of her illness, which she could not help. She was a desperate woman. So when she heard Jesus was coming, he was her last and only hope. So she fell at his feet to touch the fringe of his garment, which would have been on the bottom of his garment. She came up behind him. She didn't even want to come to him face to face. To me, that says she came up behind him to touch that fringe of his garment in faith, believing he could heal her. But Jesus wouldn't let her get by with that hit-and-run healing, would he? He could have just kept going, and she would have been healed. But you see, he wanted to know who had touched him. Do you think he knew? I think he did, just like God said, where are you in the garden? Because Jesus is all about relationship. He didn't want to leave her hiding. He didn't want to leave her in that place. He knew who had touched him, just like God did. He didn't want to leave her there. So in verse 47, it says, And when the woman saw she was not hidden, because he asked that question, she came trembling and falling down before him. It's okay to come trembling. Sometimes we have to come trembling because we're coming before the living God. But do you see you're not hidden from him either? Like we talked about, he's the God who sees. Are you ready to fall down before him like that woman and trust him with everything that's in your hands? Jesus' response to her was, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He called her daughter. So she was not only healed of a physical disease. Her heart was healed. She had been made whole. She was his daughter. Just like you, if you've come to him, you are his daughter and he can make you whole. So she could go in peace, hidden no more. So that's all he really asks of us, is to come. Come to him just as we are, nothing hidden, and tell him all of our heart. And so ladies, I'm just asking you today, would you come out, come out wherever you are.